0: Hi everyone. Just a reminder that this show is not legal advice, trading advice, financial advice, or personal advice. Enjoy the show and thank you very much. This show is sponsored by Eero, never think about Wi Fi again, and by Formosa Financial, financial services for blockchain innovators. Yo, yo, welcome to Crypto 101, the average consumer's guide to cryptocurrency. This is Matthew Aaron. And today we have on Alex Sterk, community manager of Ubik. And he's here to tell us a 101 on the project. This conversation came from the community again. They put us in touch because they wanted to know more about this project. So thank you very much to the community. Thank you very much to Alex. And I'm very excited to go down the rabbit hole with him, about this project. Before we get into this conversation, please go to crypto101podcast.com. Join the Facebook page, the Twitter, the Instagram. Join the conversation. The mark is down. That doesn't mean that we stop learning about crypto and the space and influencing the future. Also, think about becoming a patron. Check out the Patreon page. We have a surprise for everybody who's been a patron for over six months. It's our way of saying thank you. Also, subscribe to us on iTunes, CastBox, Pocket Casts or SoundCloud, or wherever you listen to your podcasts, leave us a rating and a comment. It helps us stay on top of the charts so people can find us better. And finally, if you wanna join the Crypto 101 media team, reach out to us at reachout at Crypto101podcast.com or go to Crypto101podcast.com and go to contact and send us an email. We're looking for bloggers, we're looking for audio editors, and we're looking for anyone who wants to join the space, get involved, and well, shape the future now without further ado here is alex sterk of ubic and we'll see you after the show alex sterk community manager of ubic welcome to crypto 101 sir
1: yeah awesome thanks for having me
0: yeah man thanks for coming on So, what we're gonna do today is we're gonna do pretty much the Crypto 101 template of going through a little bit about yourself, the history of the project, going through what it's planning to accomplish in the space, how it compares to different competitors, if there are competitors in the market, in the space right now, and how it's gonna roll out in the future. And of course, going into your general opinions about the crypto space right now. What do you think, sir?
1: Oh yeah, that sounds great, yeah.
0: Sir, please tell us a little bit about yourself.
1: Certainly. So I was born and raised on a farm in uh, southwestern Ontario, uh, Canada, about an hour and a half south of Toronto spent most of my time in high school and a little bit of time even in college and afterwards milking cows. And uh, yeah, then I got into uh, electrical engineering, specializing in automation, spent some time with BlackBerry and uh, General Motors before kind of having, I guess, a Early life crisis and deciding to uh, go out to the west coast. Uh, spend some time in Vancouver, where the crypto scene there is uh, very much alive. There's lots of uh, good developers and community members, and um, yeah, I was able to kind of finally get the the chance to meet people who are, um, I guess, uh, more knowledgeable than I. So I, I was feeling less like a crazy person, uh, which uh, is always good to have. But yeah, then I uh, started a little bit of a podcast, Block Talk, at the time. Yeah, I did some interviews, got got to know lots of people in the online uh, Twitter space and uh, yeah from there I really got involved with the community of Ubik early on before it was Ubik. Really uh, I, I felt the need to kind of help organize uh, the project and make sure that things were uh, we had kind of an outlook and a goal and uh, really find our place in the industry and um, yeah that's uh, where, where I've now kind of become the uh, community manager but also uh, the, the CEO of uh, the one of the development companies on Ubik. Right
0: on, man. Right on. So when you were milking these cows, where were you?
1: Down here in uh, Ontario, Canada. Don't like to give the uh, exact location, but I like to say it's the middle of nowhere and a half hour from everywhere. I've even checked it and measured it. <laughs> it's pretty well central.
0: <laughs> right on. So that's that's quite a skill set you have. So you, we, besides the milking cows, you have electrical engineering. How'd you go through that path and what took you out of electrical engineering into crypto space and then it, finding your way into the uh, ubiquity community?
1: Well, on uh, the dairy farm, uh, we always had a lot of kind of automation and uh, a lot of new technology rolling through. Like we've had self-driving tractors for almost 20 years now. So Stop. it's uh, it's it's always been catching my eye. There's robotic milkers and stuff like that. Uh, and, and yeah, that's where I kind of got the pull to go to uh, school for electrical engineering. General Motors, I found a, a lot of boredom on the night shift waiting for something to break. Uh, so I, I used a lot of that free time to kind of do some research in the crypto space, learn about Bitcoin and... Uh, yeah, that, that's really where I kind of got got the uh, the nuts and bolts of it down and, and really saw how there, there was w- ways that I could apply, uh, not just uh, at the plant that I was working at, but also on the farm. Like there there's a lot of issues with networking in both those environments. And yeah, blockchain, I think, has a, a lot of capability to kind of improve both those industries.
0: So wait, OK, you, you just gave me a mind blow just about a little <laughs> bit ago. Self-driving tractors this is a thing?
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah. Because, uh, you know, you got to get those rows of corn like really straight. So uh, you, you get the tractor uh, track with GPS, and uh, it's got a little motor on the steering wheel to make sure it's always correcting back to that uh, that an initial kind of line, and uh, even does all the spacing and everything for you. So yeah, your only job then is to make sure you don't fall asleep.
0: Okay, so what, can it do turns and everything, and just like do your whole perimeter, or what, what's the, or is it just straight?
1: Uh, usually you do the perimeter yourself, and then you do all the turnarounds. But yeah, for the straight lines, that's what was heavily automated. So it's very rudimentary, um, like not like the Teslas we see today, but it is getting better. And it was kind of a I think where a lot of the proving ground for the technology was
0: okay because the first time i saw a self-driving tractor was in the movie uh interstellar and i was just like dude it's the future
1: yeah yeah no we've had that for a while now it's uh it's, it's amazing um, i mean you still gotta have an operator but there's definitely a lot more uh or a lot less driver uh, fatigue and uh yeah a lot more efficiency so
0: what was it that attracted you to the crypto space was it the the liberty the freedom the down with the fed or was it just the decentralization the tech the what was it?
1: Yeah, the technology was definitely interesting. I mean, from the finance side, too. Like, uh, you know, I was making good money as an engineer, and uh, I was just kind of getting sick of every time I went to the bank, they were looking at my balance and saying, oh, you want to sit down with our investment advisors? And it's like, you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go through this myself. I'm going to take a little leap into investments and... uh yeah, after uh, about four weeks of trying to get registered on exchange and buy Bitcoin the proper way, uh, I finally had it. And within a half hour, it was on other sites and uh, investing in other coins. So uh, from that moment, I was just kind of hooked. of just like the the ease of use and the freedom that you have.
0: Right on. And what year was that? This was uh, April
1: 2014.
0: All right. Right on. So you've been holding uh, Bitcoin since 2014.
1: Oh, yeah. I've, I have went through that whole bear market in 2015. Those are the good times.
0: So is this is this the bear market of 2018? Is this the uh, is this the worst it's going to get, in your opinion, in your years of experience? Huh.
1: Um, I mean, it could definitely go sideways for uh, a while. We have the uh, happening of 2020 coming up. So like that that's going to be another kind of catalyst for upward movement. But uh, um, I think just with the the way the mining economy is going um, with big players like Samsung getting involved, uh, we're, we're definitely going to see uh, a big jump in, in, in price in the next six months to a year. Yeah, like we're going to hit that trillion dollar market cap for Bitcoin alone.
0: Oh, right on, right on. Well, we're looking forward to it because my, my arms are weak from holding so many bags. So,
1: yeah, I feel that.
0: (laughs) Anyway, we won't go into the bags that I'm holding. I think the listeners already heard that enough. Run us through a history lesson of Ubiqu. It's you said it started as a different project before. What was the project before? and what was the evolution
1: yeah so the original project was called jumbucks uh which i mean kind of humorous name but um if bitcoin launched with like an email list you know satoshi kind of put the word out of to a bunch of these cryptographers to help them launch this network ubic was originally launched or jumbucks was originally launched uh with a chat room Uh, one of the most popular ones back in 2014 it was coin markets it was back when everyone was on irc telegram wasn't really a thing and uh, a lot of the coin developers and traders were all on the this one room. And yeah, it was a fair launch, no ICO, no pre-mine. So everyone had the, the ability to mine it. Like I wasn't in, even in the uh, chat room at the time, but uh just in my passing on Twitter, I was able to find out about it. And I had just gotten a, a new Litecoin miner. I'm like, man, I want to I wanna try this out on something other than Litecoin. I, I, I got to get my feet wet and that's where the project kind of got its footing in and the first priority was not to list it on an exchange i was really connecting with that as well, let's make it more than just something to trade and it actually needs to have some utility so yeah there were some community projects some uh, crypto collectible cards if i was at my desk i'd show you them they're uh, they're they're pretty cool these five playing cards that were made of prominent members in the space the only way you could purchase it was with this currency so th- these are the kind of like cool community projects and it, that's really what it came down to. It was a good community in the beginning. And um, I guess it's two years ago, to, almost to the day, we uh, launched a testnet for switching to Ethereum code. We, we built our own version of the Ethereum code base. Of The uh, developers and the key members of the community and say, like, well, how do we really want to um, advance the, the currency for, forward? And uh, we really saw there a, a lot of utility and a lot of more developments coming along for the Ethereum code base. So we, we decided to make the uh, our currency into uh, also network feel where you can execute smart contracts with it. So that's where we were able to um, basically build uh, our own version of the Ethereum network with uh, some different parameters and still with the original fair launch, no ICO, no pre-mine, do, doing a swap of the old currency to the new.
0: So basically you made a an Ethereum but na- named it something different. What is Ubic designed to do and what I guess what was the purpose? Why, what was the inspiration of Ubik?
1: It was around the same time that DAO hack was going on and there was a lot of um, issues with the, the centralization of Ethereum and, and, and just the whole idea of the Ethereum foundation having like not just control over the development, but also having a large control over the currency. Like that was the main reason I think the DAO got so big was there was a lot of the uh, the pre-mined coins going into it. But uh, th- that's where we, we kind of saw there, there's an opportunity to um, have um, I guess a more fair Ethereum out there with with the mutability intact and uh, yeah, still the same principles. Uh, something like Bitcoin, you know, like it's uh, having no ICO and and no premine are are very important for an open source project.
0: So basically, it was a, just a decision of different form of governance
1: yeah yeah well and at the end of the day like our community is just full of developers who like to build cool shit so we <laughs> were really we were really getting frustrated with trying to build applications on the bitcoin code base and we just mm-hmm. saw the ease of use of uh the ethereum code base and and how that standard was going to be being pushed forward uh a lot of the uh, uh open source projects being developed on it there's a lot more capability there like no offense to satoshi but i don't think he was there as his programmer like i think he had a lot of help and uh, we're still kind of feeling the ramifications to uh that that code base where all bitcoin code does is keep track of bitcoin Mm -hmm. if you want to do anything like tokens or uh some of these other applications you you really got to go into a higher level of complexity whereas ethereum is built like by programmers for programmers
0: right so tell us about the network. Tell us about what you're trying to accomplish with UBIG.
1: So, yeah, like we, we did a different currency. We uh, we have a kind of different community, but uh, like different philosophy. But uh, part of it, too, is the uh, the technology where um, uh, we, we made some key changes to the protocol. We actually slowed the block time down. We went to uh, 88 seconds, about a minute and a half. Yeah, we, we also uh, implemented a monetary policy from the beginning. These all uh, all help with the uh, the mining economy and the decentralization of the network. Um, you have far less uh, what's called uncle blocks, which uh, are essentially just uh, orphan blocks. But uh, since Ethereum has this uncle protocol, they're able to use their block time so much faster, like breaking the minute uh, threshold with a block uh, chain where you start to have a lot of issues with uh, network latency. So they, they implemented this uncle protocol to uh, deal with that. But uh, part of the problem with that is uh, when you have these adverse network uh, conditions, uh, you get a lot extra inflation from all the uncles. So we didn't really want to mess with the uh, the monetary aspect of it too much. So that's where we went with the longer block time where you're not going to have as many uncles. We're right around 1% to 2% uncle rate.
0: You mentioned a monetary policy. You said there was a different monetary policy. Can you explain that a little bit? And also, since this is 101, could you go into uncles and orphans and just explain what that is 101
1: oh yeah sorry if i go too high level um so the monetary policy so like bitcoin there's a monetary policy that was set from the beginning of the network Uh, I think it was like uh, hard-coded and uh, a little bit later on, but the the idea that there's going to be 21 million coins and uh, every four years the emission rate halves. So this was the monetary policy of Bitcoin. We implemented um, basically a set plan from the beginning of the UBIC network of what the emission rate was going to be, and uh, miners know that that's what we're going to stick to. So what we did was we started with eight UBIC per block, and every year we're decreasing by one until we get to uh, one UBIC per block. Uh, and uh, that's where it's going to stay. So we'll have this kind of steady inflation. Uh, of uh, UBIX coming in every block. And uh, part of the reason for that was uh, we've never seen an example of a proof-of-work network that runs on fees alone. Like Bitcoin is aiming to do it and it will probably be the first one to be mainly fee-based. Um, but yeah, we, we aren't looking to beat them to that uh, that goal. So that's where we have that kind of constant emission. But it's going to be fairly reasonable inflation. Like right now, I think it's like 5% inflation and we're going down to 0.7. So it, it's going to be... Uh, um, regardless of the scale of the project it's going to be uh, pretty uh like the market will be able to uh, tolerate that level of inflation as for the uncles so, uncles, yeah, and so orphans. Big, <laughs> uncles and orphans okay so there's uh yeah with bitcoin um if two people mine bitcoin blocks at the same time the one that the chain continues on it will be the main chain but the block that wasn't accepted by the chain is considered an orphan. Mm-hmm. Um, it's left behind. Uh, it's forgotten. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's kind of
0: really sad.
1: Yeah, but uh, luckily there aren't that many orphans in, in uh, Bitcoin because of the 10-minute block time. The, the chances of getting an orphan with the latency of the network is, is very little. Is there like, such thing um, as an orphanage? <laughs> someone just collecting all the orphan blocks?
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: um, yeah, there, there's a good record of them on all the block explorers you can usually see. Uh, orphan blocks there, but uh, yeah, like I said, they're not very common on Bitcoin because uh, yeah, even if you have something like one second of latency, like between two miners generating a block, that's still one in 600 chance that uh, that's going to happen because uh, you have the 10 minutes, uh, 600 seconds between blocks. So, Ethereum they uh implemented what's called the uh, ghost protocol. This was something that was suggested to improve Bitcoin early on, where if you give a, a small reward to the uh, orphan blocks or like, and have them kind of included in the chain, it's essentially call them an uncle instead of an orphan. But um, what that allows for is uh, when you do these faster block times, it reduces the amount of centralization because if you start getting too many orphans, miners have to start organizing with each other and forming more tight knit um, kind of coalitions. People will flock to bigger pools rather than the smaller ones because yeah if you're trying to like solo mine any any currency that's proof-of-work or even some of the proof-of-stake ones if you uh, are solo mining your latency is gonna be uh, a detriment to you like you're you're not gonna have as much success as you would with a bigger pool so rewarding the uncles incentivizes people to still solo mine and not just join the biggest pool because they're gonna have uh, better latency or like they're gonna have better odds so that's kind of the uh, the whole idea of
0: uncles and orphans right on so are, are ghosts dead orphans that's what i'm wondering if there's no orphanage, um, who's taking care of the orphans? And you said there's a ghost port. <laughs> man, this is, this is turning really sad. It's a dark podcast. We're going down a really dark, dark path.
1: Well, the funny thing with the Ethereum's uncle blocks, too, is since the block time is so fast, you'll have uncles on top of uncles. Uh, so instead Ooh. of calling them an uncle, they call them cousin blocks and second cousin blocks. It, it's <laughs> kind of funny, the terminology. But um, yeah, uncles and orphans generally are not considered a good thing in blockchains. Uh, you you want to try and avoid them in your network. And yeah, luckily, there there's not too many on Bitcoin or on Ubik. Uh, Ethereum has had some issues once the blocks get pretty full. Uh, like when you're sending bigger packets around, um, there's uh, quite a bit more uncles. You got to keep an eye out for those uncles because uh, you don't <laughs> want too many of them.
0: Thank you for the 101, by the way, on orphans and uncles and cousins and second cousins and ghosts. We appreciate that. <laughs> yeah, no problem. <laughs> I, I guess what I'm really trying to get into as well is that there's a lot of smart contract platforms out there. You know, Ethereum, UBIC, you know, and, and many other ones. How are you separating yourself from, say, Ethereum, which is, you know, the most popular? It's probably the most developed on. What is, what is your roadmap for the future to... I guess, make the separation to encourage people to develop on your platform opposed to these others. And what are some of the major competition that you have out there? And do you have a plan to either work with them, compete against them or what have you?
1: Well, Ethereum, its main innovation was the EVM, the Ethereum Virtual Machine. And this is becoming the de facto standard in smart contracts. Like there's even um, a protocol layer being built on top of Bitcoin to have an EVM rootstock. So we we saw that this is going to be the kind of the standard of smart contracts. There's a lot of these other platforms that are coming out now, and some of them are deviating from the EVM. Some of them are completely new code bases or new opcodes, like uh, basically trying to develop an entirely new smart contract system. And, And part of the problem I see in that is it's not exactly as battle-tested as Ethereum is. Like We've seen some issues with the Ethereum code base, mostly because people are actually using it, they're trying new things, they're moving fast, they're sometimes breaking stuff, but they're fixing it. And uh, just like with bitcoin uh, there's a couple bumps in the road we, we uh that, that standard is being developed and it's being um, more utilized and, and uh, it's, it's really getting a lot more of the development education on it so we, we saw that with ubik and we um we see that as kind of sticking with that standard as kind of adding to that uh ecosystem because operate like you can deploy the same uh, smart contract on on ethereum as you can with ubik um the difference being is right now the cost is uh, significantly less it's like less than one percent but uh yeah so that, that's where there there is some benefit of ubic versus ethereum um but uh yeah you you want to be able to know that there's uh all the development tools that you need so I'll, I'll set this aside right now that um we don't view ourselves as a competitor to ethereum we're more of a, like a complementary network like uh, we're, we're trying to push the same standard we're uh, working with our own businesses our own user base we're, we're educating people on how to use the same uh, the same uh, system because um, the the user experience is very much the same and that can be said for Ethereum Classic and a couple of the other EVMs. Uh, we we want to make sure that there's um, you know all the tools that you need something like MetaMask which is like the main tool for interacting with dApps, we have our own version of it called Sparrow. And that's important for anyone who wants to develop a, a dApp on Ubik, even something like MyEtherWallet, you can use Ubik through My MyEtherWallet or MyCrypto. But we also have our own fork of that uh, that system, that code base uh, called Pyrus, P-Y-R-U-S. And um, part, part of, I think, um, setting ourselves apart from a lot of the competition is actually having a lot of these tools available, um, ma- making sure that, like, uh, a lot of the frameworks even something like hardware wallet support that that was another key reason to stick with a, a standard like Ethereum is to be able to implement yourself on a, on a hard uh, hardware wallet. so we're on Ledger and Trezor and and, and that's where i guess we, we kind of have a bit more namesday and, and also things like uh, token support by exchanges so say you want to deploy a ERC20 you don't want to put it on Ethereum because uh, it's too expensive you maybe want to put it on Ethereum classic the thing is no no exchange Right now, is it's supporting Ethereum Classic tokens. There's maybe like one or two tokens on that network that are uh, trading uh, on an exchange, but it's, it's very sparsely supported. Where Ubic, we have uh, token support from two major exchanges. And um, yeah, we, we actually have about eight tokens right now that are uh, trading on exchange uh, with value, and a couple more community ones that are more kind of fun tokens that uh, might have value one day. Even, um, uh, yeah, uh, that, that's where there, there is a little bit more kind of industry adoption and um, kind of uh, um, bullet points for when you're shopping around for what EVM you want to deploy on. Because, yeah, it's kind of like choose your own cell phone plan, right? Like you you got to have options and uh, having a little bit of competition in the EVM space is good, too.
0: And now a word from our sponsor Eero never think about wi-fi again the Eero people set out to make wi-fi systems they wish they had in their homes single router systems just don't work it's like light waves imagine trying to light your master bedroom from a light bulb in your living room what you need is a distributed system with Eero You can install their second-generation Wi-Fi system in your home in just a few minutes. Just simply download the Eero app on your iOS or Android device, and it'll walk you through it. Eero sent my mom a system, and we at our home had a problem. Our Wi-Fi, our main connection was in the basement. So to get it up in my mom's bedroom or out in the back garden was nearly impossible. I said, Mom, don't waste time. Set this up and give me a review. She is so happy by the results. My mom is 58. My stepdad is 62. Was it easy for them to set up? They set it up within minutes. And now, in the bedroom, in the back garden, everywhere they have Wi-Fi. The Eero app lets you manage your network from the palm of your hand. So you know how many devices you're connected to at any given point, as well as the speed of the internet you're getting from your service provider. You know what your other Wi-Fi routers don't do? They don't update. So you can be vulnerable to cyber attacks without even knowing it. Eero updates constantly. Well, if you're a listener of Crypto 101, you have a special offer. Please go to euro.com. That's E-E-R-O dot com. And upon checkout, enter. Hey, guys, TiVo here to tell you
2: about the Ufi Video Lock, a smart lock, a 2K camera and a doorbell all in one. That's e u f y video lock, or visit ufiofficial dot com slash video lock. Again, that's e u f y video lock, ufi video lock. Get complete control over your front door.
0: crypto c-r-y-p-t-o for free overnight shipping in the united states or canada that's e e r dot com and upon checkout click overnight shipping and then the promo code crypto for free shipping and now a word from our sponsor formosa financial financial services for blockchain innovators Formosa Financial found that the biggest bottleneck for most blockchain innovators is access to banking. They fundraise and innovate in the crypto world, but they operate in the real world. Employee salaries, rents, bills are all in fiat. Almost all blockchain companies can't get a bank account, so everyone is using Band-Aid solutions to manage their funds properly. The solution? Formosa Financial. At Formosa Financial, we've created the ideal financial service platform for all blockchain innovators. First, we've secured reliable banking partnerships that enable us to offer banking services to blockchain innovators. we focused on banking partnerships, licensing, and compliance. Second, we've built a suite of financial services that can help blockchain innovators manage their funds conveniently so they can focus on growing their business. We've built a brokerage account, crypto-to-fiat trading, and we have risk management services. How can you make sure that $10 million in crypto today is worth $10 million next year so you can operate your business? Well, we have a solution. If you're an innovator or an investor, please check out Formosa.financial. That's F-O-R-M-O-S-A dot financial for more information. Now back to our show. You know, in pr- preparation of for this uh, chat with you, I've watched a lot of YouTube videos. I would say a year ago, everybody was saying, this is the Ethereum killer. This is the the one that's going to, you know, go right against Ethereum and, and knock them off their platform. I guess everybody's looking for the Ethereum killer. But then a year later, though, everything changed. Like there's too much competition. There's too much people trying to do the same thing. So then you also just said uh, making your own wallets and protocols and things like that. You know, you don't have to use MetaMask and MyCrypto. You have your own thing, which also kind of gets you more niche and gets you more away from the mainstream, you know, maybe give you less user interaction because you're not right there with the mainstream. I guess I know you don't consider Ethereum a competition, but there is competition out there and there's a lot of people trying to do the same same thing as you guys. What is the roadmap for the next five years to make yourself keep being relevant
1: I think right now it's just making sure all the tools are ported over. We're working right now with businesses to even utilize the the chain like um, Cryptopia, uh, a major exchange out of uh, New Zealand. All of their token products are Ubic tokens. That's where I buy um, my Sumo coin. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I've been uh, working some orders on there today. It's, those guys work hard and they list a lot of really good stuff and mm-hmm. a lot of other random stuff, too.
0: I love the random shit.
1: <laughs> oh, yeah. That's great. But uh, yeah, I think going forward in the future, like um, we, we don't really have like a I guess a rigid roadmap, mainly because we didn't raise money from anyone. And I think in a lot of cases, that's a benefit because uh, that makes us more uh, adaptable. We can easily pivot to um, to having new new features or uh, new new focuses. The the main one we're working on right now for application size is uh, governance of the platform, where uh, we we have a governance token that uh, was airdropped to active Ubic holders and. Uh, that's where we, we see there's a lot, of, um, a, a lot of potential for growth in the future of, of building all these different protocols for these ERC-20 protocols into a single token. So um, if you're familiar with Aragorn or uh, District 0x, um, these are both kind of governance platforms, and uh, that's what we're first building utility onto this token but all these ERC20 tokens are following the same standard and uh, you can build the same functionality on basically any of them. So something like a zero X exchange, like a decentralized exchange, we're, we're planning on building that onto the uh, the framework of this token um, prediction markets, something like a Gnosis or uh, Augur building that functionality. So really all these protocol tokens can all be hosted by Ubic holders. Uh, so we can have all the same functionality uh, uh, as the Ethereum ecosystem, but it's much more cohesive, and it's all kind of operated from the same token holders. So it makes the layer two a lot cleaner and a lot a uh, lot better for governance. Uh, so that's kind of our roadmap right now of just uh, getting the governance side uh, rolling a bit further. We're to have bounties and um, having it operate more like an open source project because we we do actually have a development fund uh, from uh, some of the ICOs that we did help develop on the product on the platform. Uh, they they've contributed some Bitcoin to uh, a multi sig where now we have about twenty Bitcoins that we can put towards bounties to uh, incentivize developers to come and build on the platform. So that's that's really where I see a lot of uh, uh, I guess, our growth potential or our, our uh, uh, plan for the future is uh, incentivizing developers to to just board over their protocols or um, develop new things that are exciting and uh, try and claim a bounty with it.
0: Assume that you would agree with this statement then. It is better to build your own than to partner and have synergies with different companies.
1: Having a, a lot of partners or having all these different tokens that all do different things. I think it's kind of fracturing the community a little bit. Like, yeah, I, I think it could be seamless one day, but it, right now it just looks like it's going to be a bit of a, a cluster of like, oh, I want to do this on the network. I got to buy this token or I got to um, I gotta transfer and, and buy, buy this other network token in order to, uh, you know, accomplish a couple really common tasks on, on the Ethereum platform. So making it a little more cohesive um, it, it is I think going to be uh, in, in our benefit.
0: How many people do you have working with Ubic right now?
1: So, yeah, like uh, right now, it's a very tough question to answer how many developers we have because uh, it's a very fluid project where there isn't really a a set payroll for a lot of the uh, people working on it. But um, we have about four people that are considered core devs and then another four or five that are uh, kind of part-time guys that are just developing things. Like um, we have this uh, awesome guy in the Netherlands, Eric, who has been developing a a block explorer and um, a mining pool. And uh, yeah, he's been doing a lot of really great work. Um, uh, One of our newest core devs, uh, Aldo, he's uh, based out of Barcelona. He just kind of showed up one day and was like, I like what you guys are doing. I want to really build out uh, an open source version of uh, Infura for uh, the Ubik network. And uh, He's really been helping with the the core protocol level stuff, too. So th- this is uh, the kind of beauty of do- doing a project with uh, a fair launch and, and no ICO is that people can kind of come out of the woodwork and feel like they're contribu- contributing equally to the project.
0: Are they getting paid? So if-
1: uh, in a lot of cases, no. Um, but right now the bounty system is, uh, r- rolling up. Um, and w- with, the Ubik technologies, uh, we're, we're kind of doing a sponsorship of some of, uh, some of the developers that are working in the space. But, um, a lot of the guys are working uh, full-time at other companies. Like Aldo just got a job with MyEtherWallet. So he's kind of, uh, working on Ubik still as a passion project. And, uh, a lot of the stuff he's working on with MyEtherWallet ports over to Ubik quite nicely. And then, um, Yeah, yeah, like uh, even um, our core protocol dev, uh, Julian, he he works as a code auditor at uh, at Bittrex. So he he got a full-time gig there, but he still finds some time to uh, do some programming for us. But yeah, the uh, Ubic development company, Ubic Technologies, is uh, where there's a little bit more kind of economics to that play, people on the payroll. And uh, that's something we're gearing up a bit more now with uh, some of the enterprise projects we're working on.
0: I've seen this in the past. And I want your opinion on this is that I've talked to, interviewed, had on the show and know personally a lot of different coins, communities, companies, projects that people are just, you know, volunteer based. They don't get paid. You didn't raise money. There isn't a structure in place to hire the people to continue development. People get busy. They they do take full-time job somewhere. And then, well, they just kind of start prioritizing their life different ways. The project stalls, things don't get released on time. um, The community gets frustrated, the market cap goes down. How do you plan to... I mean, and this isn't something new that has happened in this space. This happens all the time. With the current structure, how do you plan to not have that happen?
1: Well, I think that's where um, our governance system comes in with the bounties, uh, like ha- having someone delegated to to uh, develop a project even b- before they get paid, but like the the money sitting there waiting for them to uh, to finish, like that's uh, a, a big incentivization for them. And, and uh, I think a part of it too, like like I said, we don't really have a roadmap. We're a very fluid project that way. We, we usually just like to report on what we've done rather than uh, hype on what we're doing. Uh, and then that's been working working pretty well for us, just, just making sure that we were, were able to, you know, not not over promise, but uh, uh, definitely overdeliver. Uh, so like that, that's where there, there's definitely uh, always improvement that can be made. But um, I think as a project like the, the the formal bounty system is where we can see a lot more um, throughput and a lot more kind of uh, uh, responsibility put on the, these developers and projects.
0: You're full time with this project?
1: Oh, yeah, I've been uh, full time crypto since uh, May last year.
0: Oh, right on. Cool, man. Cool.
1: So how do you get paid? Uh, Right now, it's a bit of a money sink for me. So if anything, um, (laughs) I've been funding a lot of the project uh, myself in terms of like getting swag developed or going to conferences. I'm usually Mm -hmm. paying out of pocket for it. But that's part of the the development company. Like that's where we have Ubic the project or Ubic the network. And then Ubic Technologies is a company like a for-profit company. Um, and you can kind of think of it as like the first Bitcoin company. It's uh, that, that's where consulting is pretty good in- income um, and then uh, development work uh, like uh, like I said the enterprise projects are, are mm-hmm. where, where we see there's a lot more potential to uh, get income um, and uh, yeah like they're, they're, there's always ways that you can be making good money in the space if you're in it long enough. Cool,
0: cool, cool. Is there anything else you want to touch on UBIC before we go into general questions?
1: Yeah I guess if you guys are if you have any UBIC holders out there or if you have people who want to interact with a smart contract for the first time um, we're still doing Airdrop of our governance token. Uh, the next one will be, I think in two months. Um, and uh, so yeah, what you need to do, it's not a traditional airdrop where you just have money in your account and you're, you're good to go. Um, you need to actually interact with a smart contract to register your address to say, I am an active user. Here's my, my Ubic address. And then on the snapshot date, any Ubic that's uh, uh, in your account, um, you'll be credited uh, some Azure tokens. And uh, yeah, that's where we have some more votes coming out, too, for it, and uh, the bounty system will utilize it. So it's it's kind of a, an easy way to um, play around with smart contracts and really uh, understand how the, the nuts and bolts of it work.
0: Right on. Right on. We said at the beginning of this podcast that Samsung big companies are going to start getting into mining. You think we are going to see, let me rephrase that, $1 trillion Bitcoin market cap. Oh, we could only wish
1: Oh yeah, 50, 58000 grand and uh, $300 is uh, the price I'm, I'm predicting for Bitcoin in the, the next kind of run-up. I think next six months to a year, we're, we're going to see that. You think and, so? And that makes it. Yeah, I'm pretty confident in it. I mean, just looking at the mining economy side of things, um, uh, I'm not sure if there's any miners, uh, people who still mine Bitcoin as a hobby. But uh, if you pay attention to the Bitcoin difficulty, uh, uh, the last adjustment, uh, I guess the second last one, uh, the difficulty actually went down. Um, and that's a really bullish sign to me because that means that miners were not being plugged in. We're kind of reaching a bit more of an equilibrium. So a lot of the people who are mining Bitcoin are kind of losing their shirt uh, because they're mining at a loss. So, like, uh, there was even a couple of news reports of uh, some of the cloud mining providers have yep. invalidated their contracts. Yep. Uh, the Kodak mining scam got busted. Like, th- these are all really bullish indicators, and it's a good sign in a bear market to that the uh, – the filth is being flushed out, and like there, there, there's a lot of filth to be flushed out. But that's a pretty good indication, at least on the Bitcoin side. So
0: you don't think we're gonna have to wait until wait until about six months to a year after that ha- next halving?
1: It's it's tough to say. Like I don't want to. Of course, I, this is financial advice.
0: This. You're not a financial advisor. Yeah. Yada yada yada. The opinions, short like, opinions, man. <laughs> we we all have our fingers to the breeze. We have no clue where the wind's coming from
1: well and with bitcoin it's not a matter of if it's a matter of when so mm-hmm. it's like if you're patient enough bitcoin is a two-year investment it's the best returns out there like there's only like three days that you could have lost money uh, looking at it as a two day and inv- better two-year investment so yeah if you got a little money to spare then it's like okay yeah throw it in bitcoin for the two years and you'll you'll have some pretty good returns um the, the question i think uh, with these uh this last run-up and uh, when the next one happens, is it going to be kind of like another 2015 scenario where we really got to do some long sideways and flush out a lot of the uh, mm-hmm. uh, a lot of the filth in the, the space? Or or is it kind of the one of two legs like we're 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 not finished repricing for this next uh kind of shift because we saw that with the 2014 bubble that was actually the second leg of that year so i don't know it, it seems like it's gonna be a pretty bullish november but um th- there's lots of factors at play like um if we see this etf pass like uh, it's a pretty bullish uh demand um which, lot ETF, of
0: people which etf are we, we talking about here i think there's a couple um, going on there's a, there's a cargo there's a canadian
1: i think it's uh, any ETF that's actually backed by bitcoin not based on the futures so um the, like there are a couple canadian ones there it's just it's a little bit more small time uh i think one of the ones uh like the winkle ones i know it got denied but it, it's kind of like it's the main one i think they have the most liquidity to supply an etf whereas uh any, any of the uh, these other ones I, i'd be really worried about their ability to meet demand I mean, uh, it will cause a lot of uh, short-term demand in the price, but, like, uh, yeah, there'll, there'll be a lot of uh, equilibrium that will have to p- uh, come come about after that. The other side of it, too, is, like, if, if one of these ETFs get passed, then a whole bunch of them are going to come pouring through. So it's it's kind of like which one's going to be the first one. Um, but, uh, yeah, it could be a bunch of my uh, The next Mount Gox will be... Uh, The next Mt. Gox uh, will will be one of these ETFs getting hacked.
0: Mm, mm. Yeah, I guess, you know, what we're all looking or not looking forward to is a monster sideways like the 2015, 16, 17, just sitting there with nothing to do, especially as a podcaster. (laughs) I want want, want some (laughs) shit to talk about. (laughs)
1: <laughs> that's when I, uh, I really enjoyed podcasting. It was uh, my favorite time in the space because uh, that's when projects are really buckling down. It, you, you get a developer on who uh, you can tell he's been like coding his ass off because like there's really not nothing else to do with trading or anything. So um, yeah, like, uh, those are the times where, like like i said at the beginning it's like 2015 was a good time for me I, like uh as boring as it is for the sideways like that that's when of a lot of rubbers meeting the road and, and things All are right. getting done like when, when we're going parabolic upwards i think everyone gets distracted and uh uh not much gets accomplished
0: they do they do there's a uh, silver linings to any dark cloud there the the parabolic cloud or the sideways cloud who do you look up to in the crypto space and let me, I just want to frame this for, for a second. If you were like on Twitter, and this person was tweeting, or if this person was writing a blog on Medium or Steam, it, if this person you know ha- happened to be on uh, CNN, CNBC, or some kind of you know TV show to talk about whatever, you would be tuned in. Who is this person?
1: Uh- um, I, I'm quite fond of Bill Sahara and uh, Richie Lai from uh, the Bittrex team. Um, mm-hmm. like uh, Bittrex in general is like one of my favorite projects in the space, just because it's uh one of those engineering teams first. Like uh, they they just set out to try and build the best exchange possible, and then uh, it was like April last year that they. We're just maxing out the last of their server credits and only still had four employees and we're just starting to see the like the a lot of exchange uh, exchanges kind of crum, uh, crumbling under the, the sheer volume that they're processing but th- these guys uh, had built a scale they were built and ready like yeah th- it's not so much a business first focus but a technology first focus so uh, yeah th- th- those are the type of people I, I, I usually like to hear speak about the industry
0: what do you, what do you think about the bitrex loss of market share and their redesign? I guess those are two totally opposite questions but
1: I don't think they've lost too much market share. I think there's a lot of fake volume floating around. Um you think like, so? uh, I think oh yeah, like if you want to find the truest volume in the space, you 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 look at something like Bittrex, because like there there are no fee breaks uh, and and uh
0: this time this time yeah. last year Bittrex was number 1. It was probably almost hitting a billion 24-hour uh, um volume. Now it's mostly Chinese uh, exchanges hit BTC uh, Binance and what what have you, Bittrex isn't even on the top forty anymore. So you think that's actually more realistic value?
1: Yeah, yeah. Like uh, I think uh, some of these other ones, um, I'm, I'm, I question some of the uh, the numbers they're putting out. I don't want to speak too ill ill of Binance because uh, uh, it's a, it would always be great to have a listing there, but. Um, yeah, it, it, it still is questionable of uh, how, how much volume could be there. And um, the other thing, too, is uh, the fee break that they give with their uh, Binance token allows for more trading for less cost. So it's like how much money is being spent on fees? It's very consistent on Ethereum, on uh, Bittrex, uh, and, and that makes it a pretty good gauge for the space. So, yeah, I, I think that's where you see a lot more kind of institutional traders uh, or institutional investors kind of uh, – looking to fill their altcoin bags, um, where, whereas Binance can be a little, um, I guess, worrisome sometimes. I mean, uh, nothing to knock Malta, but uh, uh, I, I I don't put a big, big bag there because it's, uh, you know, if, if their whole concept is to move fast and shake trees, it's uh, it's kind of hard to put your money in, in their pocket to help them do it.
0: And what about the Bittrex redesign? Good, good move um, or bad move?
1: I, well, I love the night theme. I mean, like, uh, I, the white was always searing my eyes late at night when I was trying to
0: that, that is true. do some
1: late night training. But... uh yeah, I think it was uh, it was very welcome. Uh, it, it was kind of like the first major step of like the um, improving the UX. Um, uh, it definitely has more work to do. I mean, uh, I know guys that work there that aren't even happy with it. So it's uh, it, <laughs> it, it, it's something that they're working on. And I think um, yeah, the API is always a good option, too. Like uh, I do a lot of trading through uh, Coinigy as well. So uh, like you just plug in your APIs into there and you get the same user experience for every exchange.
0: Crypto 101 has positioned itself to be one of the first stops in the space. If you're coming into the space and you're Googling, you're saying, hey, crypto, cryptocurrency, 101, you know, uh, whatever, we we might pop up. So it's very possible if somebody's hopping in because, you know, Bitcoin went down a little bit and they were going to buy their first Bitcoin, they might hear this episode as their first step into the space. What would you want this noob to know about getting into the space?
1: Trust no one, but uh, find someone you can trust. (laughs)
0: <laughs> all right all right agent fox Mulder.
1: <laughs> no that, that was advice that i got from a, a friend that i met uh, a while back but um i, I think it's like uh, you you really gotta go beyond just the exchange because like to, to buy buy a bitcoin on coinbase is uh there's only one part of the process to withdraw it is the other side of it. And uh, we're very fortunate now that with things like hardware wallets, it, it's much easier to be secure, but still have the level of convenience. So, yeah, if you can manage to at least with, do one withdraw, it doesn't have to be much. But like understand like the real side of the technology, the freedom that comes with uh, ha- having your own money and your own address. And, uh, I mean, if you can't afford a hardware wallet, you can play around with the paper ones, too. That's what I did early on.
0: <laughs> right on, man. Right on. Cool. Alex, before I ask this last question, I want to say thank you very much for the 45 minutes of your time using your data on your phone to come on this show. And I guess the last question is, what three songs would you like to put on the Crypto 101 uh, Spotify playlist?
1: Oh, geez. Uh, I, got a, I got a long list. well um, oh. <laughs> For having me, and uh, you know, it's not too big a deal with putting uh, uh, a little bit more points on the data bill. I'm just trying to expense it to the company. Uh, but uh, yeah, I, I think uh, for good songs, let me go to my Shazam here because I heard some good ones the other day.
0: Shazam! All right.
1: Uh, oh yeah, yeah. Uh, I want to hear some "Dirty Laundry" by Don Henley. Okay. Let's see. There, there's. Down Under by Men at Work. That's always a fun one.
0: That's always already on the playlist. Already, already twice on there.
1: Oh man, uh, what about What's Up by Four Non Blondes? How about that?
0: Nope, don't have that one. Okay,
1: cool. And then uh, Go All the Way by the Raspberries.
0: You got it, man,
1: Alex. That's what crypto is gonna do. It's gonna go all the way.
0: <laughs> Hopefully, all the way to that <laughs> one trillion that you're talking about, fifty-eight thousand three hundred. Uh, oh yeah. It, no, because it, then I won't it, be holding bags.
1: No, no, you'll be uh, you'll be spending them. I'm sure.
0: I, if I'm if I'm smart this time, if I was smart last time. I would have been spending them last time. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's all good, man. It happens. It goes around, comes around.
0: Right, right, right. Alex, Alex Dirk of Ubic. Thank you very much for coming on Crypto One Hundred and One.
1: Once again, thanks for having me. It was a great time.
0: All right, brother. Thank you very much for listening to this episode of Crypto 101. Alex, if you're listening, thank you very much for coming on the show. Please, after you're done listening to this, go to our YouTube channel, Crypto 101 with Matthew Aaron, where you can hear my roundup and opinions on this project. In the next episodes of Crypto 101, we are sitting down with the listeners, where we ask just people in the community, what are they holding, how they got into crypto, what they're thinking of the space, the bear market these days, because it's the average consumers, it's us, that actually make the space important. So I'm excited to sit down with almost a half dozen listeners in these next coming episodes. We're going to sprinkle them around. So a couple here, a couple there, and maybe we'll do a LISC 101 in between. And before we go, like always, ApogeeCrypto.com, A-P-O-G-E-E-Crypto.com, the best place to check your real-time prices. CryptoNews.com for your news. And we will see you in the next episodes of Crypto 101.